Every time we turn around, it feels like the world keeps changing. The culture seems to be collapsing in on itself. And if we're honest with ourselves, not only do we feel unsure about where things are headed, we don't even feel sure about how we're supposed to respond now. Do we speak up? Do we play along? Do we engage? Do we withdraw? The truth is, none of this is new. For centuries, God has been calling, strengthening, and empowering his people for his purposes. Generations before us, Daniel was called to courageously stand as a beacon of hope and healing within a hurting and collapsing culture. You were not here by accident. You were not made to cower, to run, to hide. You were made for these times. Man, we're going to look at the word, but I have a question. What did you do after high school? You graduate from high school. What, what, what was your next step? Uh, for me, I was looking at different colleges and kind of like examining, you know, the, the, var- the variables there. And then I decided, you know what, the best option for me is probably to join a heavy metal band and tour, which is what, what I actually did, believe it or not. And we toured uh, kind of in the southern United States, and it was pretty awesome. And what this heavy metal band was doing was preaching the gospel to an unreached people group, the heavy metal people, right? And so that's what we would do. And I remember one of our first shows, the dude gets up, begins to preach the gospel of Jesus, when out of nowhere, all of a sudden, this big dude runs out from the back and starts shoving people out of the way, yelling and screaming, don't believe what he's saying, don't believe in Jesus, believe in yourself, and also believe in Satan, (laughs) which I was like, whatever drugs he did, those hit different today, right, like, There's something going on here, and and we see this, and and you hear stories like this. On the one hand, it's like maybe he was on drugs. The police had to subdue him, all this stuff. But on the other hand, as a Christian, our worldview actually includes the possibility that he was demonically inspired, that there is something evil underneath the surface, that there are spiritual realities. If you think about 2 Kings 6, where Elisha had been making mischief for the king of Egypt by basically reading his mail prophetically until finally the king of Egypt's like, man, we keep getting thwarted by this prophet. Let's send an entire army to get this dude. Now, an entire army against one guy, and here's Elijah, he's walking around, and his servant sees the army coming, and he's like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? And Elisha is just chill. Like he's got his you know, head, headphones in, he's walking around like it's no big deal. And, and the servant's like, dude, wh- what are we gonna do, Elisha? There's an entire army. And he's like, are you kidding me? What's the big deal? He's like, oh, oh, wait. He says, Lord, open his eyes. And he realizes that there is an entire angel army. More were those who were for them than those who were against them. And that is where Elijah got his calm. Here's the reality. When we begin to peel back the layers and see what's behind the surface, we begin to realize that in the midst of an uncertain future, we have a steadfast God. And we need to pull back the veil to see this in its full And it's true reality. And that's exactly what we do in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, we actually get something of a vision. And we begin to read this. And it's going to feel a bit clunky if you've never studied this kind of thing in Scripture. Would you open your Bibles with me to Daniel 7, starting in the first three verses. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, 
And behold, the four winds of heaven were stirred up, or stirred up the great sea. And four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. All right, how many of you guys, like, have ever had a vision of multiple beasts and, like, winds and all this stuff, right? None of you? Okay, good. So, so this is what we call apocalyptic literature. And right out of the gate, I just want to give us something of a definition of this so you're not like uh, c- totally confused. This is called apocalyptic literature. It's this ancient prophetic visions disclosing what is behind past, present, or future events through symbolic imagery. So right away, we get four winds, we get four beasts, and it's this picture of seemingly uncontrollable forces. And it's powerful, and they all represent world leaders. Look at verse 3. And and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side, had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up from among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. What in the world is going on here? <laughs> like, what is actually happening? This is a vision, and as we've said in apocalyptic literature, there are symbols in this vision that represent World, world rulers. And so uh, just to, to spoil it, I want to go through each one of these and kind of look at it. So what was the lion? Well, the lion was Babylon. We know according to Jeremiah 20, uh, 29, 19 through 22, that basically God in a predictive prophecy about King Nebuchadnezzar coming in to take over, that he was referred to as both a lion and later an eagle. And here we have a lion eagle right? And his wings are clipped, and then after his wings are clipped, he gets the mind of a man. What is that? It's a picture of Nebuchadnezzar ruling and reigning, and then falling, into, and then ultimately being humbled and brought back to God. Then we have the bear. The bear is Persia, because he has three different ribs in his mouth. This is ultimately a picture of Persia having conquered Babylon, Egypt, and Lydia. This bear is ruthless, And the bear is a picture of being absolutely brutal. And what we know about Persia is they were one of the most brutal empires that ever lived. We actually get the embryotic form of the cross from Persia. Then we have the leopard. The leopard is a picture of Greece led by Alexander the Great. Uh, We know this because... Here, the leopard is a fast animal. That's kind of what it's known for in the ancient world. Like, if you see a leopard, it's coming at you, just roll over and die, bro. Like, there's no way of escape. And this leopard also has wings, and so it's to communicate speed. Alexander the Great ruled the world after 10 years of conquest. That is indescribably fast, and that's the picture here. Then we see that it gives way to four leaders, 
Um, and this is exactly what Alexander the Great did. We look at history. He was assassinated at 33 years old. And then because he did not have an heir, they gave his kingdom to the four generals that surrounded him. Finally, we have the fourth beast. And the fourth beast is Rome. And the interesting thing here is iron is a picture of Rome. And ultimately, this beast isn't described like any of the animals. He seems to be more ferocious. He's got 10 horns. Rome was known for having 10 leaders. And that is what those horns depict. And so here we have this very strange vision depicting all these leaders, and you're going, what in the world does it matter? Here's what it matters. When we look at world history, or we look at our lives today, this is what we understand, that God is not shocked, but sovereign. God is not shocked, but sovereign. Consider this. This was written in 522 B.C., What we learn from that is ultimately God is predicting stuff that's going to happen in the future. And this is crazy because you could not have made this accurate of a description of each of these kingdoms except for if you had the ability to look back and see what had happened. Scholars look at this and for many years liberal scholars said there is no way the Bible could have predicted this this accurately. They actually estimated, you know, hundreds of years later in the second century that this must have been written for all these different reasons, which which are basically summarized that they have a bias against there being a God who predicts the future. Well, later, archaeology dug up and we actually found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls indicated to us that this people group who had it, they ultimately gave the book of Daniel into the corpus of scripture precisely because they believed it. And it was earlier than the date that was suggested by liberal scholars. It's their bent. In fact, uh, another fun fact, if you remember Belshazzar from a couple weeks ago, if you've been with us for this series, uh, and at the beginning of this passage as well, uh, for many years they did not believe Belshazzar lined up because we had no historical evidence. And for years and years, this was a critique of the Bible for critics of the Bible. Until archaeologists dug and they found Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, who are referenced only in Scripture. Here's what I'm saying. God is sovereign over history. His word is to be trusted. And if you can't find evidence for it, just keep digging. He is sovereign. He is in control. Second Peter tells us his word is true. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Listen, they look back and they say, these prophecies keep coming true. This is the word confirmed, according to Peter, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, amen? Man, the, the other week I was uh, preaching at Rise Young Adults and then I get down and this guy comes up to me and he says, he, he's like, dude, how did you know? And I said, um, I don't know what, like, I don't even know who you are, bro, like what? And, and he says, how did you know where I work? How did you know what I'm going through? I was like, what are, what are you talking about, homie? And he's like, dude, you looked at me and said, hey, maybe you work here and you're going through this. This is what God's word says here. And as he's saying this, he's like, dude, that's exactly where I work and exactly what I'm going through. And I get chills up and down my arms. Here's what I'm saying. God is not shocked by the events of our lives. He wasn't shocked that the young man was there. He is sovereign over his word and he is sovereign over the very events of our life. And we can trust him because of that. 
And we, we, so we look at this and we're like, this is written 522 and it's a vision predicting future stuff. And so God is sovereign. But we also see this. What is the purpose of this vision telling us about these leaders? Here's also the purpose, that there's actual real evil behind the empire. Then when we look at the governments of our day and we look at the governments of their day, there is real spiritual evil behind the anti-God world leaders. That's the point of this apocalyptic Vision, And what we're about to see is a passage in the Bible that is clearly talking about Antichrist, which I know is exactly what you wanted to hear about here on a Sunday morning with all the sunshine and stuff. Some of you guys have been ready for Antichrist ever since they started talking about vaccines. You're like, let's go. It's Bill Gates for sure. And so you're like geeked up for this. This is not something that I would like, hey, let's pick talking about the Antichrist, but here we are. Verse 24. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. What in the world? Here's this horn that rises up and he wipes out other leaders and ultimately he challenges the most high himself and is only defeated by the most high. What is this? This can't be Rome. This can't be some former ruler. Ultimately, scholars, the majority of scholars would argue that this is a picture of Antichrist. And so you're like, what in the world is Antichrist? Well, if we look to the New Testament and we begin to read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, we get several passages and really a theme built out here. We'll go through much of it, but let's look particularly at Revelation 13, 1 through 4. So we've got apocalyptic literature, Daniel 7, now we're in Revelation and Antichrist. Here we go. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon, Satan, gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, Satan, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? Here we have in this passage every element from the previous passage, no? And what does he do? John the Revelator sees another vision that is a composite vision of all the previous. And and it's all in one individual, one leader, every single element. And what the ESV commentators say is this. The beast represents every oppressive human empire that demands absolute allegiance and enforces its demand. What we have here is a picture of Antichrist. Now, um, if you've been wondering, like, what actually does Antichrist look like? Or you're, like, pulling out the charts and wanting to see, like, when is he coming, all of this stuff. Here are just, I just want to be very biblical here. What does the actual Bible tell us? We get four things. Number one, this. He's both a category and an individual. It's both a category and individual. There's some who say, man, we're just looking for Antichrist. Who is it? You know, like, is it the president? Is it the previous president? Like, they're looking for Antichrist. And here's the reality. That's actually not the point. First John actually tells us that many Antichrists have already come. In other words, that any time 
Rulers, empires, kings, politicians seek to subvert the will of God, replace God, and ultimately subdue God's people. That is the seat of Antichrist, and they're behaving in such a way. And so it's also this category. Secondly, we learn this. He is empowered by Satan. Again, going back to the passage we read in Revelation, the dragon gives him authority. It's ultimately demonic. And in all these apocalyptic visions, we see that there's the human side, and then there's the spiritual realities empowered by Satan. Number three, he opposes the saints. Daniel 7 is probably the best on this, but multiple passages could say this, that ultimately he seeks to persecute Christians. And lastly, he seeks the place of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4 tells us that essentially he tries to take the place of God in the space of God, the temple. And what he's doing there is it's this picture of like, these are rulers, these are kings, this is the beast who wants to take the place of God himself. And listen to me, some of you guys are all geeked up on this. Yes, Antichrist, this is what I want to talk about. Here's the reality. The point is not that we find some Antichrist. The point is that we understand the category of Antichrist because the reality is... In our day, we are so caught up with politics, we ultimately might not even need an antichrist because we are so hung up with worldly leaders who are less than antichrist. We are so caught up with this, what is Satan gonna waste his time? Look, the last month I saw on TV, on the news, as people are pouring pig's blood on a dude's house who's a police officer testifying in the court of law over some controversy. Pouring pig's blood places. Looking back to January, we saw the White House itself stormed as people are enraged. This weekend, what am I seeing on the news? Communist flags, people wanting to tear down the system all over the U.S., all over the world. And finally, right here in our backyard, in Portland, violence every single night for hundreds and hundreds of nights. How many of you guys have like actually wanted to go, like, man, I'll go eat downtown Portland. You're like, actually, I'd rather survive. Like, I'm not going there. What? That's, we're looking at beast-level nonsense, amen? That's where we're at. But here's the truth. Everyone wants to look for solutions in politics where they're not to be found. Man-sized answers don't solve God-sized problems. We need Jesus. Look, here's the reality. First of all, the Bible is better than news. The Bible is better than news. But practically, how many of us are digging into God's word? How many more of us, including myself, are, find ourselves scrolling and scrolling, just addicted to the highlights, addicted to the hype, addicted to all the problems in the world, and looking for a political solution is all that is offered. This, this weekend, a guy texts me, this is the second time something like this has happened, saying I'm struggling deeply with anxiety, depression, and all of this, this difficulty internally, and I, and I literally could not meet up with him. I was like, I, I, I want to meet up with you. I want to fix your life, bro. I wanna, that's what I want to do. But the truth is I didn't have time. And so I said, Here, here's what we'll do. Why don't you read a pass, this, this book of the Bible, the short thing, study it, and then pray through each verse, and then follow up, and, and we'll talk. He said, okay, I'll do it. This is the exact text I received a couple days later. The first two chapters felt like it wasn't Paul writing a letter. It felt like God was talking to me personally. I started crying because I was in such awe at the words he was saying. This is the power of God's word. How many of you guys have seen the Holy Spirit fall on the news when you're reading it? On Netflix as you're watching it? Does the Spirit delight to do that stuff? Absolutely not. But how many of you have read the words of scripture and had the Holy Spirit just illuminate your heart? 
This is the power of the Bible's better than news. Second, church is greater than online community. Church is greater than online community. Listen, we have, Lindsay and I, we have this friend who, uh, she's super funny and she has like zero followers and, and we follow her. And, and she gets on her, her phone and every time she does a story, she's like, hey followers, good morning. And she's like, just spoofing all, the, all this nonsense of what, what an online community is supposed to be. Here's the reality. If your community is one way and can be done on a phone by yourself, that is not community you've been made for. We need church community in the flesh as much as it's possible. I get people have high-risk situations and all of that. I love you if you got to deal with that. The truth is, get as close as you possibly can to the body of Christ. If you're not a believer today, there is love found here. There is hope found here. The church community is greater than quote-unquote online community. Jesus is greater than political leaders. I don't know if you watched the joint um, address Biden did to Congress, and he, he basically starts, and, and look, he talks about how I've been handed like the worst world crisis ever, and a failed leadership state, and all this stuff, and he says, in less than 100 days, we're already, America, back on the move again, and what is he saying with that? I get it's a good speech, all this stuff, but here's the truth. What he's saying is, the world is broken, sin has devastated anything, and I, the Messiah, have come. Here I am, solving the world's problems. And if you think I'm just picking on the left, the truth is that the same weekend I saw all the like conservative people posting like, did you hear that Trump announced in 2022 he will say whether or not he's going to come back in 2024? Our Messiah is here! And I'm going, there is no hope in political leaders, friend. There is only hope in Jesus. If they failed you in the past, they will fail you in the future. That is not the answer. We need Jesus. And then finally, the kingdom is better than political movements themselves. Listen, here's the truth. The concept of the beast goes far beyond this, who is the Antichrist. Here's the truth. The concept of the beast is a counterfeit God. It's a false Messiah, a false Jesus. And, and here's, here's the question. Which one is it for you, right? For many of us, we want one of these Jesuses, don't we? Maybe you want the socially conservative, middle class, Suburban Jesus, that's safe for the whole family. That's your Jesus. Or maybe it's not that Jesus for you. Maybe it's the woke, progressive, protester Jesus who reads the Bible under the authority of critical race theory. It's not your Jesus. Maybe you like the small business Jesus. What does he say? Come to me, all who are thirsty. For we will remain open, baby. <laughs> we'll take your order. We got you. Defying the government. Maybe it's not him. Maybe it's for you the opposite. The CDC guidelines, Dr. Fauci Jesus. <laughs> and you're like, this Jesus says, for God so loved everybody wearing masks. And whoever does not wear a mask will not see life, for the wrath of God remains on him. <laughs> this is a Jesus. Or maybe we can't forget the trained Marxist Jesus, who's like, it's all about the systemic problems, not the personal problems. And what is he doing? Turning over tables and also breaking windows. Trained Marxist Jesus. Or my personal favorite, the rifle-wielding, freedom-loving, don't tread on me Jesus. I'm going after everybody today. He's got a big truck. He's on his way to sit under leadership at the MAGA rally, right? Like, 
Here he goes. We can keep going. Anti-vac Jesus. He's like, I created the world in seven days. I heal lepers. And I provided you with some vitamin C. You can heal me. Or maybe it's the opposite, and you're like, man, I've been wanting to put the vaccine in the baptismal waters. So they just go down, you like get saved and sanctified, right? We are good to go. Do you see how ridiculous this is? These false messiahs, these beastly messiahs, we don't even need an antichrist. We have them in our political ideology. That's the truth. But Christians must fundamentally identify as people of the cross, not people of the flag. People of the book and not political ideologies. That's who we are. And so here's the truth. The answer is not revolution, but revival. The answer is not revolution. We need a revival. We need gospel renewal. I love that Daniel ends with this and and the vision moves in this direction. Actually, pour it over to verse 13. It says this. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. That's, that's, that's the son of man being presented to God the Father. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Who is this conqueror, church family? Who is this? It's Jesus. He comes to conquer. He comes to break down every nation. He comes to rule, and he's coming on a cloud. This is Jesus. But the question is this. How does this son of man come to conquer? How does he come to conquer? Do we need yet another ruler who's going to come through and blast down the previous nations and blast down the previous kings? Do we need another ruler like that? Mark 14, 61 through 62, we see Jesus actually quote this exact passage. By the way, Bible, Bible study folks here, if you're studying your word, here's what happens. The Old Testament is interpreted through the New Testament. And so what does this mean? How does he conquer? How does he come as the son of man? Well, this is where Jesus quotes this here in the New Testament, and he's on trial. But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ? the son of the blessed. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He is on his way to the cross. And he begins to say, all that stuff you guys studied in Daniel, that's speaking of me. And I am the true king. And here is how I assert my kingdom. Here is how I exercise my leadership by laying my life down and dying for my people. In fact, not just my people, but even the people who stand against me. See, in our political, obsessed, politically crazed environment, we have to crush our enemies. But in Jesus, we see good news that our God was crushed in our place for our sins on a cross. And our King reigns today after defeating death in our place. This is the way of Jesus, and this is the good news of Jesus for you. Look, if you've never received Jesus, today is the day to receive his love. There is no love like this in the world, and it is only found in Jesus. That's how he conquers, amen? And here's what's cool. We have a better mission than a political one. 
as we conclude a series that has addressed the empire over and over again. Listen, our mission is not to raise the flag, but to advance the gospel. Acts 1, 6 through 8, I love this. Check this, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. So the disciples have their very last moments with Jesus, and what do they ask? It says, so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you come and reign? Is this the moment? Are we going to see the kingdom of Israel advance? Verse 7, he, Jesus, said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. This is literally Jesus being like, wrong question, bro. I love that he's just like, I don't care what you're talking about. We're going to focus on something else here. He's like, you idiot disciples. Instead, think about this, verse 8. Here's your mission. But you, and hear this directly from Jesus to you personally tonight, disciple of Jesus. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Our mission is not a political one, but we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to advance the good news of the grace of Jesus. That is what we are called to do, church. Amen? Kim Rulov argues this. Instead of trying to connect the signs of the end to current events, which is what we want to do when we hear Antichrist, right? Like, when's Jesus coming back? The church is to be about its divinely commissioned task of preaching the gospel. Jesus has not called us to speculate about his coming. Instead, he has called us to persevere to the end during the calamity of nations, the groaning of the earth, the rise of false teachers, and in the face of persecution. He called us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You know what we need today is we need a modern Jesus movement. I'm obsessed with the old movement in the 70s and reading all the stories of baptisms and transformation and revival in the streets that broke out among the hippies and the surfers in Southern California. And you know what we need today? We need a movement like that. We need a Jesus movement. But here's my question for you. Do you actually believe that the gospel has that kind of power? Do you actually believe that anymore? I remember, um, I used to believe that. But in 2021, I've just gotten to the age where I'm like, maybe we just do need to vote the right way. <laughs> just need to institute some policy and actually change the way we do policing and this and that and the other thing to change actual systems. And I began to doubt that heart change is really the answer that the world is waiting for. But I remember when I did, I remember experiencing the transformative power of the gospel when I was 16 and going from darkness to light and being all about Jesus. I remember going up to my druggy buddies and kids from sports and all this stuff, like, gotta meet Jesus. And just radical enough to believe that Jesus still does stuff like this. And watch over and over as friends got baptized. We started a Bible study over at the gas station by Gresham High School. And we would sit down on the ground on all the oil and garbage and stuff and just open the Bible. We didn't know any theology. We just knew Jesus and read the word of God and took it for what it said. And I remember there'd be these younger, younger underclassmen coming by and we'd be like, 
dude, sit down and read the Bible with us. Come read about Jesus. Meet this Jesus that saved us. And they'd sit down actually. And the spirit was working. And my dad had this old Astro van, this junker of a vehicle that he like gave to me because like it sucked. And I would bring it on Wednesdays and we would stuff like 20, 30 kids illegally in this car with no seatbelts and take them to youth group. I should have been arrested. And I saw revival and I saw God move. And listen to me, I think God can do more with old, dirty, broken down Astro vans and a bunch of people who believe the gospel than any political movement on this planet. As I talk to people who to this day say my life was changed at a dirty old gas station through the power of the gospel. You guys believe that? Let's win this city. If you don't know Jesus, feel the power of his radiance. Know that the truth is in him. We're gonna respond in worship. Would you guys stand as we respond? Stand right now. The first way we're gonna respond is through communion. What we do at communion, it's this bread and this cup, and it's a picture of his body broken and his blood poured out for us, Jesus. Receive forgiveness. If you're not a Christian today, the point isn't to guilt you into doing communion. Actually, we don't want that for you. We want you to first give your life to Jesus and then take communion for the first time with us as an act of worship. You're invited into this. Then we're also gonna give. We give back to the one who gave his life for us, saying, man, I don't believe in this empire. I believe in the kingdom that's coming in the age to come. Lastly, we have prayer in the back. And what these folks are there to do is see heaven come to earth in your life. Whatever it is, there's nothing too big or too small. Go be prayed for. Will you raise hands and sing with us to this King Jesus? Amen.